Father God, I thank you that um, thank you that I'm here and that um, we are such a great family, Lord. And I just I'm thankful for this family. I thank you um, that it's Mother's Day that I get to preach today and bring a little bit of your message, Lord, that I feel that you've given to me to give to our church today. So, I, Lord, we just offer up ourselves, open up our hearts, Lord, to hear what you have for each one of us. There's something for every one of us in this room. Uh, and so we, we just are listening, Lord. We want to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. My approach to Mother's Day is enjoy it if you love it. If you don't, just let it pass you by. But in any case, be celebrated if you're a woman because women are made in the image of God. And uh, we know that God made us male and female, and each it, together we represent the image of God. So we need each other, um, and we need women. And so to celebrate that, you will know that at the end of service, there's going to be there's a big spread of cupcakes out there. Ladies first, all ladies doesn't matter if your mother or not. Ladies first, but men there's plenty. Trust me, so you'll get some as well. Um, kids, I got to tell you with the sermon bingo, um, there's I couldn't find Pastor Susan's candy so you get a cupcake after your, you get your sermon bingo but if you show Charles your sermon bingo then he's gonna give you a really good high five so uh, you know that's worth something right so let's let's go with that all right as I thought about the message for today um, what I what I thought about was really talking about the women of the Bible and particularly sort of mothers of our faith they're not necessarily mothers necessarily we don't always know um, but just sort of that they are mothers in our faith and who we could look to and I'm not going to talk about the more obvious women in the Bible Bible, Esther and Ruth and Mary. I'm going to talk about some that you may not have heard much about. Um, and, and men, before you take out your phones and figure, well, this is a women's sermon, I'm going to just go on my phone. Uh, I'm going to tell you, put it away, because just as women can learn from David and Solomon and Job and all of these uh, male figures, you can learn so much from the female figures in our scriptures. And so um, we, I want you to hear, this is not a women's sermon. This is a sermon for all of us. There's messages for every single one of us in here. And so I'm going to start, just jump right in, and we're going to talk about Miriam. Okay, we don't hear too much about Miriam, but Miriam was a key player in the Exodus back in the days of when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And so we first see Miriam as the big sister to Moses. You may remember the story of Moses when the Pharaoh was angry at the Hebrew people. They were enslaved under Pharaoh, but he was angry that they were getting too numerous. And so he ordered that all the baby boys would be killed. And so um, Moses' mother, seeing that he was a remarkable child, took a risk. She put her baby in a basket and set him on the Nile. But who was watching after him? Miriam, his big sister, who was watching that baby in the boat, and she noticed that Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and liked him, and, she, and, Mo, and so therefore Miriam popped up, used her resources and quick thinking, and said, hey, by the way, I know someone who could nurse this baby, because her mother, of course, was right there, and Pharaoh's daughter said, great, and so um, Moses' mother got to nurse him in his, young, young, um, in his youth, and then, of course, he was raised in Pharaoh's court. If you know the rest of the story with Moses, you know that as he was an adult, uh, many things happened, but at the end of the day, he ended up petitioning Pharaoh with miracles and signs from God to release his people, and finally, Pharaoh releases the people of Israel to go. So the Israelites flee out of Egypt, and they get so far, and Pharaoh 
changes his mind, right? And so he sends out his horses and his chariots and his army after them. And so now the people of Israel are trapped. They've got the Red Sea behind them, and they've got the approaching uh, uh, Egyptian army coming after them. And of course, if you've seen the movie, (laughs) you know what happens next, right? Moses uh, pulls out his hand, and the waters of the Red Sea part, and the people of Israel walk through on dry land. And so do the people of Egypt. The Egyptian army comes through, but as soon as the people of Israel are safe and out, the waters, of course, close back over, and the, destroy- the army is destroyed. And so this is an incredible moment. I mean, who, who could ever imagine the Red Sea? It's a very big sea. This is not a tiny lake. This is a very big sea. Who could ever imagine it getting parted in this way? Who could ever imagine? This is a work of God showing that God's people were something special, that he was going to be doing something special in this people group. And so uh, this is a point that Miriam enters in. Both Miriam and Moses were, were there leading along with Aaron at this time. And they end this whole event with rejoicing and a song. And it says that Miriam danced also and led the people in song. And so I just want to read to you now from Exodus 15, chapter, um, verse 19 to 21. It says this, When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, The Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. So a couple points I just want to make about Miriam that we may not have picked up on. First of all, she's called a prophet. Interesting, with no explanation, with no... um, you know, caveats or anything. In fact, she's the first prophet ever mentioned in scripture. She may have been the first prophet ever of Israel. Interesting, it was a woman. Um, And it's kind of surprising because we do know that the Bible is set in a very patriarchal culture. Okay, women had no rights back then. They were basically the property of their fathers, and then they were the property of their husbands. They didn't own land. They didn't, they didn't uh, you know, really have any rights at all. And yet here we have this woman who is called, without any explanation, a prophet which is a leader. And I think this is interesting, and this is something for us to note, and you're going to see this all through Scripture if you will look for it. And that is that there are signs and indicators in God's law and in God's ways that show that God wanted something better for women. That he had women in mind. That he knew that they were fully valued, fully gifted, fully needed, and even in this ancient time was planting the seeds (laughs) way back with Miriam way back with the way the people of Israel operated, even in the midst of that patriarchal culture, yet he put prophets there that were women, that were respected. So God was planting those seeds. And we see the fulfillment, of course, when you get into the New Testament, when when the Apostle Paul says, in Christ there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all one in Christ Jesus. So we know that it comes to fulfillment, but but it it takes its time. But God is working even, even right at the beginning, seeds planted right back at the very beginning of the people of Israel. Amen. Now, here's an interesting, other, another thing about Miriam is that she was considered a leader. Micah the prophet writes about Miriam yet hundreds of years later after this event has happened. It's before the time of Christ, but, bef- but after the time of Moses. It says this in Micah 6. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I, is God talking, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. She's one of the three. The triad of leadership. It's kind of interesting um, that we see this triad that comes up in other places in the Old Testament as well. Kind of the, the leader, king or political leader, 
the priest and the prophet. And you see that in Ezra and Nehemiah. You see Jesus is all three, right? King, prophet, and priest. And we have Moses here, the political leader, Aaron, the priest, and Miriam, the prophet. Triad of leadership. So probably never thought about that, that they were working together as leaders. And so Miriam used all the moments God gave her, once as a little girl and even as an adult, to lead, to be a prophet, to do what God had put on her heart to do, regardless of the culture around her. Now, when people talk about Miriam, often they say, yeah, but didn't she also get leprosy at one point? <laughs> and so we kind of try to downplay Miriam because she made a mistake, and she did. She and Aaron, at one point later, when they were march going through the wilderness, um, they, the Aaron and Miriam together kind of spoke out against Moses, probably out of jealousy, maybe because they were sick of going around in the wilderness. I don't know exactly what their motivation was, but, um, and it turns out that she was temporarily struck with leprosy as a result, kind of as a punishment for that. And here's what I say about that. You find me a leader in the Bible that didn't make a mistake. Y'all love your David, but tell me about David. <laughs> David did some big mess-ups, a little bit worse than, you know, what Miriam did here. We got, we got person after person, male and female, in the Bible who did things that were not right. See, being a leader doesn't mean you're perfect, that you don't make ever any mistakes. Being a leader in God's economy means that you, you make mistakes, yes, but you quickly receive correction and you come back to the Lord. Man, that gives me hope because I'm going to make some mistakes. And so are y'all. We're all going to make some mistakes. But God redeems us as we keep close to him and we just keep, keep working to come back to him over and over and over again. Amen? And so Miriam was an incredible example to us all. Let's go on. Let's go on to Deborah and Jael, okay? This is an, an incredible story in the book of Judges. Um, Deborah's another important person to know about in the Bible. Um, why? Because she was actually the main leader of Israel for a time. The main leader. Again, patriarchal culture. Women had no voice. And yet she was the judge, the leader of Israel. Um, she's a great person to pull out if you ever have anyone ask you, how can you go to a church where uh, the woman is the senior pastor? Isn't that not allowed? And you can say, let's look at Deborah. Because Deborah was basically the senior pastor of Israel for a really long time. It's pretty incredible. Uh, let's look at Judges 4. It says this, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now the Ehud was dead. And so the Lord said, sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, and I want you to remember this name, Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagiam. Because he had 900 chariots filled with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help, and God sent them someone. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Here's what we see about Deborah. First of all, she was a prophet again. Interesting how often prophets and leaders overlap. Relisa kind of alluded to this in her sermon a few weeks ago on prophecy. I often feel like as a, as a preacher, teacher, sometimes I'm teaching you things, sometimes I'm preaching to inspire, but I feel sometimes there's also prophetic 
elements of what, what I'm supposed to be doing up here. God gives me a word for us. So I, there's pro prophecy is like woven through leadership, I feel, uh, in many, many cases anyway. So here we have Deborah. She's a prophet, but she's also a leader of Israel, it says. There's no qualifier. There's no other man mentioned. They mention her husband, Lapidoth, but it does not in any way imply that he had anything to do with the leadership. It was really her. Um, she was one of, the, one of the leaders of Israel, just like Gideon, Samson, Samuel, all the other judges, she was one of them. And then it also says that she held court. She was a judge. So she held court. She decided disputes. Um, that's what she did. The other thing about Deborah that's interesting is that you see as the story goes on is that she becomes a military leader. Let's hear the rest of the story. Judges 4, 6 to 7. So she, this is Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord God of Israel commands you. So she's speaking prophetically to him now from the Lord. Catch that? So this is her speaking. She says, the Lord God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jamin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And then Barak says this, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Love that. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Here we have Deborah going out with the troops of Israel, okay? This is like the likes of David, right, going out into battle. She is right there at the front lines. Great warrior as well as a leader. And I love how she gives a nod to kind of the unlikeliness of the whole thing, right? She says to him, you know, okay, I'll go with you, but now everyone's going to know that a woman <laughs> delivered you, you know? Like she's, she's understanding, acknowledging that, yes, she would ordinarily not have any right, any, any privilege, any power in this situation. But yet again, um, she does it. She steps into where she knows she is called to lead, and she leads. She steps into it. And what I love is that she leads it so well that Barak says, I'm not going to go without you. I think that's amazing. I think that's awesome. Now, there's a little side story that happens next as this whole saga continues, and it has to do with a woman named Jael. Now, uh, this is about how Sisera finally gets to his end, and Jael shows some real girl power here. So hold on to your seats. Here's what happens in Judges 4. Barak pursued the chariots an army as far as Harasheth Hagayim, and then all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword, not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the family of Hebar, the Kenite. In other words, he thought she was going to be friendly. That was his hope. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. And so he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said, please get me some water. She opened up a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground. <laughs> and he died. 
Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you are looking for. And so he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Wow, Jael! Girl! This is no fainting Victorian miss, you know. This is, this is a powerful woman. What bravery, what, what strength. Actually, what's funny about Jael is she has now become kind of a symbol of like, this is true biblical womanhood, okay? This is, this is, this is, this is really what it's at. In fact, you can buy a t-shirt about it. I have a picture of a t-shirt that we can all have. We can all have a t-shirt in a very pretty blue color. What do you think? I don't know. I'm not sure I could wear that. But um, you can take that down. But... Um, but what this says to me, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a startlingly barbaric kind of story, right? But what this says to me is that Miriam and Deborah, you can take it down, yeah, yeah, we don't need to keep looking at that. Um, <laughs> Miriam and Deborah and Jael did not let the fact that they were women hold them back from doing everything God had told them to do. They did not let it hold them back. I mean, we see that, you know, there's certain roles, right, that we tend to think of this is a woman's role, this is a man's role. But these, these are simply cultural constructions. They change as culture changes. They're not biblical. They're not necessarily unbiblical. There's many roles that people can play. But this is not what the Bible prescribes. The Bible says, do as I have gifted and called you to do. And so these women were prophets. They were leaders. They were military commanders. They were even assassins. <laughs> this drama concludes with Barak and Deborah together singing a song. Again, we have a song being sung to the Lord, not unlike Miriam after Pharaoh's army was defeated. And I won't read you the whole thing. It's quite long. It's in Judges 5. And it starts out with when the princess in Israel takes the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you king. Listen, you rulers. Even I, I will sing to the Lord. This is now Deborah speaking. I will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came into the city gates. But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. And so the song keeps going. We're going to skip the next slide, Austin. Um, she goes on talking about the fighting and the victories won. Um, she sings out Jael's praises, and she only ends the whole song by saying, So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And so it's a beautiful song, um, and, and there's a pattern here that um, is just a little bit of an aside to my main point, but there's a pattern in Scripture that when something great happened, victories are won, things are happening, there's a song being sung. And often the song is sung by women. It's very fascinating. You see it all through scripture. But they're not just random songs, but they're like an epic retelling. They're creating an oral history here. That's if you read the whole thing. It's creating an oral history. They're going <clears> to <throat> recite to one another so they can remember what God did, what it meant to the people of Israel, what it means for them. 
and this kind of highlighting and recreating and retelling and teaching through it is the work of a leader, and so often it's done by women in the scripture. So it's kind of fascinating. I was um, listening to a podcast called The Bema, which I recommend. It's a, um, it goes into a lot of historical and archaeological background in the scripture, and um, this one speaker, Ellie Grove Fricks, was an, is an expert in ancient Near East culture, and this is what she said about these songs. She said, there's a pattern. Something big happens, and these women, and you could lay out Miriam, Deborah, the women of David in 1 Samuel, Mary, Hannah as among them, they weave together history, the poetic facts of what happened, with theology, where was God in all of it, and then they lead their community in the processing of grief and the violence. And they also lead them in the processing of joy, I think, of the joy and the rejoicing over it. I think that's beautiful. This is, this is a role that God has for women, that women over and over again are retelling. They are, they're creating the oral history of what's happened. And it says so um, succinctly at the end of Judges 5, it says after this leadership from, from Deborah and Barak and Jael, it says the land had peace for 40 years. So good leadership brings peace brings peace from a man or a woman it brings peace now the last woman I'd like to take us into we're going to go into the New Testament we're going to talk about Junia now Junia is only mentioned once but uh, there's been a lot of controversy about this lady um, even in that one mentioned um, she's mentioned in Romans 16 which is a list of people that that the Apostle Paul is commending. It's kind of the end of his letter, and he's saying he's commending all these different people. What's kind of fascinating about it is that he mentions 28 people, and nine of them are women, people who have served with him. That's almost a third. Kind of interesting. Um, I, it's a detail like this that I think we shouldn't overlook when we consider the progressive nature of our scriptures, when we consider the time in which it was written, again, the patriarchal time in which it was written. And yet, um, yet here we have the great Apostle Paul who sometimes people blame as being anti-women, but on the, on the contrary, here he is listing out all these women whom he's commending alongside the men for all the work they have done for the gospel. Um, and one of these women is Junia. And the reason I want to focus on her is because she was basically written out of our Bibles for hundreds of years because she was a woman. So let's get into it a little bit. Here's the verse about her in the NIV, Romans 16, 7. It says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Now, um, the early church leaders would have read this the way you and I just read it, which is, okay, so Junia and Andronicus were both apostles, and they were not only that, they were outstanding among those apostles. They were, they were really good. Uh, early church leaders had no problem reading it that way. Fourth century leader John Chrysostom puts it like this. He said, and indeed, to be apostles at all is a great thing, but to be even among those of note, just consider what a great tribute this is, that they were of note owing to their works, to their achievements. Oh, how great is the wisdom of this woman, that she should even be counted worthy of the appellation of apostle. So no one really questioned in those early years, um, hundreds of years, that, that this was about a woman who happened to be an apostle in the early church. But, but, not too long after that, um, the Bible writers, uh, scribes, started changing her name and adding a little S to the end of her name. It started in the 9th century, they first start to see it, was not a good time for women uh, in the 9th century. Um, and so a little S is stuck on her name to make it a masculine name. Why? Because, of course, a woman couldn't be an apostle. So they must have meant Junius. Now, there's one problem with that. Junius 
is not a name. <laughs> it was not a name in the first century. It wasn't used, they they've never found it anywhere on any inscriptions, any use of that name. Junia was, and it was clearly a woman's name. Junius was not. They just made it up. <laughs> it's like me saying, you know, uh, Sarah. Well, it has to be a man, so we'll call him Sarath or something. Uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a, an English name, right? It might be a name in another language, but it's not an English name. It doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing. They just made it up because it couldn't possibly have been a woman. Now, the King James in 1611, I'm going to take you on a little, little translation journey, okay? So in 1611, the King James retranslated and to its credit, put it back to the original, okay? So it says this, salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who are also in Christ before me. Kinsmen doesn't mean male, it means basically just related as kins or relatives, right? But interestingly, later, Later translations, in the 19th and 20th century in the U.S., it gets switched back to Junius. We know at this time the church was becoming much more conservative and restrictive, especially, especially around women in leadership. And so the Darby Bible in 1884 puts it back to Junius. Um, the RSV, written in 1952, puts it um, like this, says, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are men of note among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So not only do they make Junius male, but they also add in this men of note. There's nothing in the scripture there, in the original language, that implies maleness, but they just had to throw that in there so that nobody would think a woman could possibly be. Amazing, right? That's just such an example of a cultural, um, a cultural bias being thrown onto even our translations. Um, NSA, NASB couldn't make up its mind uh, at all. In 1995, it keeps the male Junius, but says it's outstanding among the apostles. Okay? Um, but then, in 2020, they put the name back to the female name. They realized, oh yeah, no, it really couldn't be Junius. It's got to be Junia. But then they changed it and said that the wording is to those who are outstanding in the view of the apostles. So tricky, right? I mean, just trying to do anything you can possibly do to, to say that it couldn't have been a woman. Couldn't have been a woman if it was an apostle. Even the ESV, which is uh, unfortunate, written in 2001. There are many things to commend the ESV. But it does contain many areas of cultural bias against women in leadership. And they put it this way. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. Again, acknowledging it was a woman, but not that she was an apostle, just well known to the apostles. So why am I going into all this? Why this little, you know, uh, little journey through the translations? And it's pretty much to say to you that translations matter. It doesn't probably matter so much in most of the verses that you're reading, okay? There's not going to be. But in areas of controversy or of cultural ch differences and changes, it is so important that we know what we're reading, why we're reading it, what, what were the motivations, who were the people that did the translating, um, and what was the original intent of the scripture. That's what we're looking for, right? And this one is so clear because those first 400 years or so, there was no question that Junia was a woman, and she was an apostle, uh, and it just wasn't even questioned. And this is one of the reasons I like the NIV. You'll notice I almost always use the NIV. Um, it's not perfect, but they tend to hit it straight down the line. I consider them the radical middle of translations, kind of like like the vineyard is. Um, they go, they put it straight. She's a woman and she's an apostle. Like it or lump it. That's the way it goes. Um, I'll go back to the NIV again, so you can get the the right one in your, what I think is the right one in your mind. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. 
So I, I just love that, that here we have this example of this woman in our New Testament who had that highest role, really, um, in the church, in the early church. And I want us just to think now just for a moment about Junia and what we can learn from her as a mother of our faith. It says in this one little verse that she went to prison for her faith. So this must mean she was out there preaching it. <laughs> she was evangelizing. She was talking about Jesus and, and, and calling people to be saved. And she got thrown into jail because of it. She must have been fearless. I got to imagine that being a woman in a first century jail is even more dangerous than being a man in a first century jail. You know what I'm saying? That's not going to be a fun time. But she was there because she was going to preach the word of God. And the second thing we see about her, not only did she, you know, did she go to prison, but also she was outstanding among the apostles. I love that. What does that mean? I wish we could know a little bit more about what that meant. Clearly, she was full of faith, admired in her faith, maybe for her boldness and her evangelism. Maybe she had gifts of healing and, and miracles. We don't know. We don't know if she was exceptionally compassionate or wise, we don't know exactly what made her so outstanding, but she was outstanding among the leaders of the church. And I just love that. I wish we could have known more about her. And here, this is, this is for the guys out there. I don't want to underplay Andronicus either. He was a guy in this scenario. We don't actually know if he was her husband or her brother. Could have been either. Um, but he also was outstanding among the apostles. He was also in prison. So he was also um, giving of his all and serving in a way that was impressive and that people admired and, and even willing to go to jail for his faith. And so what I see here is this beautiful picture of a multi-gendered team, <laughs> the two of them uh, working together using all their gifts, taking it as it comes, <laughs> in jail, out of jail, doing what God had called them and gifted them to do. That's the message from Jimbina and from Andronicus. And so let me bring this all together. What, what do we learn from these women? What's the message here for both men and women here in the room today? Um, I think the key message that I'm pulling, at least from it today, is like these mothers of our faith, don't be limited by the limits people or society or culture place on you. Don't be limited by it. Every one of these women stepped outside of a cultural barrier. They stepped into a realm where they might have been the first or the only woman in that room. They might have been the only one. It reminds me a little bit of my sisters. I, I admire my sisters so much. There, I have two sisters who are older than I am, and they were both lawyers. And they were in... They would be in classes sometimes that were all men, and they might be the only woman or just a, a handful of women in there. And they just excelled. <laughs> you know, they were top of their class, you know, which is not surprising. They're both very smart. Um, and, you know, you could say, well, they kind of had to be, right? As a, as a woman in that situation, you kind of had to prove yourself. But I, on the other hand, they just knew that's what they wanted to do. <laughs> They're meant to do, and they just did it. Be the only woman in the room or not. And I just love that. That inspires me. And I, I just... I, I think about the fact that every one of us in this room, every one of us has limits that society may try to put on us. Every one of us. Whether it's because of our gender or our age or because of our race or ethnicity. Maybe it's because of we have English as our second language and we're always feeling a little bit behind the curve. Or maybe we didn't get as much education as the next person. Maybe we're just not as good looking or well connected as some people. Every one of us. There's always going to be people who are better placed, better privileged, better 
better equipped, maybe, than, than we think we are. And what this doesn't mean is that we shouldn't try to level the playing field. I truly believe, and I've talked about this a lot before, that we should be people who are out there writing the injustices and writing the inequalities that are out there in the world for all, whether it's race or gender or age or whatever that is. We should be that people, okay? We are meant to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are meant to do that. Yet I also see what these women did is that they took their challenging reality and they went for it anyway. Do you understand? They, they didn't let it hold them back. They didn't let it hold them back. They said, I, you know, they've got a gift. God has given every one of us a gift, has given us abilities and, and, and passions and desires, and don't let anyone ever take that away. Even if you're the only one doing it, these women did not shrink back, okay? JL shoved that tent peg in that head, okay? She did not hold back. Deborah went out into battle. Miriam, Miriam led with these two strong-willed guys. I can't imagine with Moses and Aaron, and she's in a triad with these three, leading. Junia, preaching like mad, ending up in jail. Get out of jail, do it again. Just like the Apostle Paul. See, others may try to limit you or me, but God. But God. Is God limited? No. no. God's not limited by people or society or culture. You are placed exactly where you're meant to be. And so would you do as God has called you to do, even if it ruffles some feathers, even if it stirs some stuff up. Be that person that does what God calls you to do. And when we break down barriers, it helps others coming come along after us. I think of my sisters. And, you know, now it's not a big deal for there to be women in law school. There's lots of women in law school now. They broke down some barriers. When you walk in your calling, you empower others. And I'll never forget this. Um, the day I started, I started to work on staff at my church in New York. So I had been at this church in New York for many, many years um, as, a you know, as a regular member, as a volunteer. And then I went to seminary, and then we were talking about me coming on as, as an associate pastor. And I said, look, if I'm going to do the work of an associate pastor, I want to be called a pastor. Okay? Don't be calling me director or nothing else, you know, because I'm a woman. I mean, if I'm going to pastor, then call me a pastor. If not, I'll just keep volunteering, right? And so this was kind of a big deal in our denomination. I was not in the vineyard at the time. It was, in our denomination, it was a big deal. They don't and uh, still don't um, allow women to be senior pastors. But there was a little bit of gray area with the other kind of pastors. And so um, we finally got the approval from our district to call me associate pastor. And this was a big deal in our church. We had never had anyone called a woman called a pastor in our church before. It wasn't they were against it. They just never had had it, right? And so I remember, I just never will forget that first day of walking in. And I've been at this church for dozens of years, right? But, but I walk in, and I'm, now I'm an associate pastor. And I'll just never forget the looks in the women's eyes as I walked in. And some of them would make jokes. They'd be like, hi, Pastor Beth. You know, like it was a really funny thing to say. But I saw something else in their eyes, and it was pride. And it wasn't pride for me. It was pride for them. It was like it had opened up something for them that I was walking into this role, that I was breaking this barrier. I, it was the most powerful and palpable moment that I could feel it. When we break down barriers, when we do what we're called to do without question, without regard for who might be trying to hold us back, it opens doors. It, it opens up the sky for those who are watching and who are behind us. 
And I imagine it was like that for the women of Deborah's time or Jeannie's time, not that I compare myself in any way with them, but it brings hope and pride to see walls come down. So let's be that kind of person, male or female, black or white, rich or poor, old or young, who steps down and breaks down barriers, who steps out, who opens up doors for other people. This is making it on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus designed his church to be, this world to be. So let me just say this on Mother's Day. First of all, thank the mothers of your faith, women who have made a difference in your faith, whether it's your own mothers or grandmothers or aunties. Maybe it's some women in this church. Maybe it's some people in another church, women in another church that really poured into you. Thank them today. Please call them, text them. Thank your actual mothers, too, if they're still alive. Um, bless them on this day. And then wherever you are and, and, and whenever you can, whether you're male or female, look to be a bearer or a breaker. Be a barrier breaker and empower those around you. Empower the women around you. Empower those less privileged than you are. Step out in courage and boldly do the thing that God has put on your heart to do. Be strong. And do this in your workplaces. Do it in your families. Do it in our church so that we can be a place where the Miriams and the Junias and the Debras can thrive. Amen? All right. All right. Let's, let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for these women of faith, Lord, and um, how they broke down barriers, Lord, how they stepped out in roles that were so unusual for their time, Lord. And yet you empowered them. You did miracles through them, Lord. And so, God, we just, we just look at our own lives now, Lord. I want us to take a moment in the vineyard, we, we have this moment at the end of a message called ministry time. And this is really your time to respond to God. We'll invite our prayer teams to come forward. And if you'd like to be prayed for, if there's something in you that's stirring, you're like, Lord, I know I'm called to something and I know it's maybe going to break a barrier or, or kind of challenge someone's expectation of me, but Lord, I, I think you're calling me to it. Come up and let's pray with you about it, about that. And I also wonder if there's someone here who is sensing that you have the ability to empower someone else, to call someone into their calling, to encourage them into their calling. take those steps. And God may have put something on your heart today that maybe has nothing to do with what I just been talking about, but you're just like, Lord, I need you. There's something going on in my life. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm scared. It's difficult. Then come receive prayer for that too. Jesus is here for each one of us. Jesus, have your way. We spend these moments in your presence.